Welcome to Politics Considered, the show in which we discuss some things political. I'm your host, Bill Gallagher. I'm thrilled to have as a special guest today, Dr. Alan Barsky. Dr. Barsky is a professor with the Florida Atlantic University Sandler School of Social Work. His books include Ethics and Values in Social Work, Clinicians in Court, Essential Ethics for Social Work Practice, Conflict Resolution for the Helping Professions, and Interprofessional Practice with Diverse Populations. Dr. Barsky is an advocate for equal rights, including equality for LGBTQ plus individuals and communities. He was awarded the FAU Scholar of the Year Award in 2020. He chaired the National Association of Social Workers National Ethics Committee, as well as the Code of Ethics Review Committee. He has also been awarded NASW's Excellence in Ethics Award. For more information, you can find it at barsky.org forward slash publications. Dr. Barsky will be speaking on his own behalf, not on behalf of any organization to which he belongs. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Barsky. How are things in Boca Raton? Hi, my pleasure to be here. Um, as usual, the, the weather is uh, lovely and the location is lovely here in South Florida. The politics are a little messy these days. <laughs> okay, so can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became involved in LGBTQ plus equality? including the rights of transgender people? Sure. I started my social work education back in the mid-1980s, and one of the core values of social work is social justice, and another one is respect for the dignity and worth of all humans. And so I've always been involved in uh, helping people to you know, maximize their own potentials. And, you know, as I've been working with different populations, it's really been important to make sure that, uh, you know, they're equipped to be able to deal with uh, some of the discrimination and oppression that they experience, but also, you know, to be able to deal with things on the more uh, macro level. And so, you know, what are some of the things that we can do to, you know, rather than just wait until somebody feels, you know, depressed or suicidal because they're being you know, excluded, put down, or uh, ignored, uh, you know, how can we change the environment? How can we also change the uh, political uh, and the legal environment as well? So just a little bit by background, um, I am an American citizen, but I was born in Canada. I identify as uh, a gay man. I am cisgender and I am Jewish. Uh, so some people say twice blessed in terms of the experiences that I've had myself in terms of experiencing homophobia and uh, also experiencing anti-Semitism. Um, but I think all you know groups need to be supportive of each other. You know, if there's injustice against one group, it's really injustice against all of us as a society. Yes. And I like the fact that you mentioned some proactivity um, before things get really bad for people. And, you know, I'm not going to focus too much on this today, but anti-Semitism is, is, as you know, really on the rise. And I think it is tied in with all of this, largely coming from the right. So when we are speaking about transgender people, what groups are we talking about, actually? That's a really important uh, question. I think the best way to look at that question is, you know, people who identify as transgender are transgender. You know, I don't define your religion. I don't define your culture. I don't define your ethnicity. Let people, you know, define it for themselves. But just in general, if we want to talk about being transgender as uh, an umbrella term, it includes people whose gender identity is different from the sex that's assigned at birth. So it's kind of one of the 
broadest objective types of uh, tests. So if somebody is assigned male at birth, but their gender identity as they're uh, growing older and recognizing their identity is female, then they may identify as a, a transgender person. But a transgender includes people who identify as, you know, transgender males, transgender females, but also people who are gender queer, gender non-binary, or gender fluid. Um, so not everybody who is transgender has gender dysphoria, and not everybody who is transgender wants to have any medical procedures in order to uh, alter uh, their um, their body or to alter the way that they present themselves. I really, really appreciate that clarification because one of the troublesome things in all of this is that I hear people, mostly from the right, who are passing these laws, that they pass, they, they throw around different terms and they don't really understand what they're talking about. So just a little editorializing on my part there. So what are some ways that we can demonstrate dignity and respect to people who identify as transgender? So I think one of the first things to remember is that transgender people are people, transgender youth are youth. And so when we do something like, you know, deny healthcare to a particular transgender person, you're denying healthcare to a person. So, you know, just basic, uh, you know, respect for the dignity and worth of all people. How do you, uh, sometimes we look at, you know, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so if you have a particular name, you prefer to be called Bill rather than William, I should call you Bill. That's just out of respect. And so when a transgender person tells you their name or they tell you their pronouns that they prefer, then the thing to do out of respect is not to, you know, question them, tell them they're not, tell them that's not true, but start, start where the person is. You know, be there, be friendly, um, and also to, you know, just kind of check in with people. So we know that there's just a lot of stress and a lot of discrimination these days against people who are transgender, particularly in some of the more uh, conservative states. And so, you know, if you notice that somebody just seems kind of, you know, off or down or sad, I think one of the things that we need to do is just kind of check in with them and, you know, let them know that we're there for them if there's any way that we can be supportive. I think, yeah, I think that this backlash against pronoun use is sort of surprising to me, but I think it is just part of this sort of anti-woke campaign by the right. And I think some people, uh, I think the politicians are just exploiting it, but I think some people in rural America are just afraid of using, of losing their way of life and they're just confused by it. And they haven't really, it hasn't really been explained to them by people in their communities, why it is important for people to use the pronouns of their choice. So what is your understanding about the proliferation of anti-trans and anti-LGBTQ laws, primarily in red states in the past couple of years? I, I think you're right on that there's, you know, people have different motivations. And so there are some people, you know, in politics and in the media we're trying to, you know, rev up a base or rev up certain people to support them, to watch their news programs, whatever. And so they are kind of, you know, um, inciting people towards uh, hatred. But if you look at, you know, just uh, kind of, uh, you know, in general, a lot of people, you know, we're raised with certain expectations about uh, gender roles. It comes from our families, our cultures, our religions. You know, men are men and women are women. And if if you're not, that's something to be, you know, frowned upon or that's something to, uh, you know, kind of erase. 
one of the ways to exert power over people is to deny their existence. So not referring to people by their appropriate pronouns or their appropriate names is a way to exert uh, power over them. Um, I think that uh, one of the things that's uh, you know happened probably since 2016 is uh, you know when uh, Donald Trump was uh, running for president and elected president, he used a lot of inflammatory language and he used a lot of language that previously you know people might have thought, but they'd kind of keep it to themselves and it certainly wouldn't be part of you know political discourse and debates or on the campaign trail or in the uh, major news outlets. But people seem to have been given. Uh, permission to uh, say things and talk about people in ways that they weren't previously. It's also probably combined with the use of uh, social media that people can connect with each other on social media and people who, you know, have a dislike for people who are LGBTQ or people who have a political reason for, uh, you know, baiting people who are LGBTQ are finding each other on the internet and are able to, you know, um, raise their voices in, in certain ways that are uh, really harmful. Um, there's been, you know, outright, uh, you know, declarations of, of war uh, in Florida. Uh, Governor DeSantis uh, says, you know, go woke, broke, go broke. One of his own laws was called, uh, you know, stop woke. And so anything that has to do with being, you know, open and respectful and uh, dealing with uh, social justice is seen to be something negative from their political perspective. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point about former President Donald Trump. I had mentioned on a previous podcast that I thought that these culture wars that have been around for a long time, uh, you know, they're sort of below the surface, but they were somewhat dormant until Trump started this inflammatory rhetoric. So I think he does have a role. It's obviously not just him. And these the progress, whether it's in any civil rights movement, tends, tends to, we tend to make progress, and then there tends to be a backlash. So to that point, um, did it seem to you that laws and, and social poli policies were starting to improve for trans people? For instance, we had the U.S. Supreme Court decision that recognized that anti-discrimination laws should protect people based on sex and that and they included gender identity. So, so do you think that things were getting better? Are they getting worse now? So definitely, you know, since the 1960s and Stonewall for LGBT, P, LGBTQ people, including transgender people, things have gotten better legally and socially. There's been a number of things that have you know, happened uh, during that time, you know, relatively recently, the recognition of same gender marriage. Um, you mentioned the Supreme Court case that included a conservative majority who actually recognized that, uh, you know, gender identity is uh, a recognized uh, group that should be uh, protected. Now, the Supreme Court has become even, you know, more conservative in the last couple of years. And if these sort of cases came up again, uh, it's possible that uh, even that case could be overturned. We saw the overturning of Rowan Wade and the Dobbs uh, decision, so nobody can take uh, those things for granted. Um, there have been um, a number of uh, you know laws recently that have been passed that uh, are you know intended to limit the rights of people who are transgender, and these are being fought in the courts. So we'll have to see you know from the state courts right up to the federal courts and the U.S. Supreme Court. Will they protect uh, 
people who identify as uh, transgender as a protected class, uh, just like they have in this uh, Supreme Court decision, or um, will they, you know, decide that uh, they're not going to interfere with discriminatory laws? Yeah, I want to ask you about some of these laws, but something you said just makes me think about all of the energy and tax dollars that are spent on these lawsuits and rallies just because of this culture war and these largely Republican legislatures. And I just think it's totally unnecessary suffering, obviously. So toward your to your last point, what are some examples of anti-trans laws that have been passed in Florida, Texas, or, or any other Republican-led states that you're aware of? So some of the laws have been um, that I'll talk about have been passed in several states. Some of them are still being uh, debated. Some are probably going to be passed. Some of them may be uh, changed. So there's been uh, a number of different things. If we go back to last year in uh, Florida, one of the laws was dubbed the Don't Say Gay Law. And basically it said that uh, that in kindergarten through third grade, uh, teachers were not allowed to initiate or discuss uh, issues related to sex or gender in the classroom. And for grades above third grade, they were uh, only allowed to talk about uh, sex or gender um, if it was age appropriate. Um, this uh, current legislative session uh, looks like they're about to, well, they did, they did actually pass a law extending the ban on discussing uh, gender and sexuality all the way up to eighth grade. And they've also got language that uh, the only exceptions are, you know, if you're teaching a course specifically related to uh, sex education. Um, you know, last year they said, well, this was just to protect the youngest students and, you know, don't worry, it won't be extended, but it has been extended. And, um, you know, as, as you were saying before, it seems like we're putting a lot of you know time and money and efforts into things that uh, you know um, are hurting people or could be overturned anyhow. So even as some of these laws are being currently challenged in the court as being unconstitutional because they you know breach uh, rights, including you know freedom of uh, expression, um, the legislators keep uh, passing you know some of these uh, these bills. Um, another uh, attack specifically against uh, uh, transgender people are these bathroom bills. And so there are bills that uh, make it a criminal offense to go into the uh, bathroom um, that's not of the gender that you were assigned at birth. And they don't exactly use that uh, uh, language, but it becomes very dangerous for a transgender person. You've got a person who is transgender. They've, uh, they've um, made the uh, transition uh, they walk into the gender that uh, um, that matches with their identity and uh, with how they appear to others, you know, and they could get uh, they could get, uh, you know, charged criminally, they could get, you know, beaten up. Uh, I was uh, with a, a group of transgender people in Tallahassee last week, and, you know, several of them gave examples, you know, I don't know which bathroom, you know, that I'll be able to go to. If I go to the men's room, I'll get beaten up. If I go to the women's room, I could get beaten up or thrown in uh, jail. So it just seems that it's a very, um, you know, targeted attack against people who are transgender and making their lives, you know, more difficult. And, you know, there's easy solutions to, you know, issues around uh, bathrooms. And uh, we don't need to have, you know, bathroom police to to judge who's going to go in which bathroom or not. Right. It's ridiculous. I was in, uh, I think, in Gainesville, Florida. I was happy to see many gender neutral bathrooms, including the AMC theater. Uh, when I was in Manhattan, 
last year I went into this restaurant and I went into this big restroom and it was all genders and they had sinks in the middle and then they had stalls. There were no urinals. Everybody had a private stall. So there are ways to deal with it, um, but mostly it's just hyperbolic. Um, so I think you spoke to this, but what are some of the primary impacts um, on of these laws on actual people? So let me give you another example of a law and, and, uh, and the impacts. So um, in uh, Florida, um, they've passed a, a bill in the House and a bill in the Senate. They're a, a little bit different, but basically both of them would um, ban uh, gender-affirming care for youth. So anybody under 18 years old would not be able to get uh, hormone treatment or uh, surgery in order to help them uh, to be the gender that they identify with. And, you know, if people are denied uh, health care of that uh, variety, um, it's literally going to, you know, affect people's uh, mental health. Uh, you're going to see higher instances of stress, anxiety, depression, uh, suicide attempts, and suicide uh, completion. I've worked with a number of transgender people who've had, um, you know, hormone blockers as youth, and it's, you know, incredibly improved the quality of their life. It's protected them from harassments and threats of others. Um, one of the uh, versions of the law, the House version of the law, so we're not sure which will pass, um, it will also say that people who have already started uh, the transition or receiving uh, hormone therapies will be stopped from having further therapies. So they will have to go through detransitioning, which is, you know, very difficult, you know, medically, socially, and uh, physically on them. And it really serves no, you know, legislative purpose other than to, you know, attack and be mean to one group in order to, you know, please uh, the, the demands of uh, another group. I think there's a real misunderstanding of, you know, who's getting these treatments and, and what they are. A lot of people think that, um, you know, youth getting these sorts of treatments, you know, they're too young to know how, you know, how would they know and, you know, they're, they're doing permanent damage to their body. Uh, so, you know, we need to protect you, but it's really not protecting. Right. And I want to speak to this. This is a political podcast. So I want to speak to this framing because the Republican legislators, including Governor DeSantis of Florida, have framed this as sort of protecting children. But another way to frame it is that it is taking away parental right to take their children to the doctor of their choice. And it is also taking away the rights of the medical community and physicians some of whom I think it's been it made illegal for them to even practice this kind of medicine. And so people are going to other states similar to the reproductive uh, rights debate. So what's your take on that? You know, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of hypocrisy on the one hand. There are some laws with, that the government is saying this is to protect parental rights and this is taking away parental rights. Um, you know, there are you know, hypocrisies in terms of, you know, uh, equality or religious freedom. Um, you know, for some people, this is a matter of religion, but it's imposing your religion on other people and other people's uh, children. You know, who's better to know what's right for themselves than the youth in conjunction with their parents and with the assistance of the uh, uh, medical and healthcare professions and all of the major health and mental health professions uh, in the United States and uh, uh, many internationally as well, recognize that gender-affirming care is helpful and it can be particularly helpful uh, during 
uh, adolescence. It doesn't mean that someone walks into an office and says, you know, change my gender, give me surgery. That's not how it works. You work with, uh, you know, professionals over a period of time, and there's a lot of, um, you know, psychological testing. There's a lot of uh, family uh, counseling and preparation, and even, you know, trial periods with social transitioning before doing any medical transitioning. You know, and if there are cases of, you know, abuse, there are cases uh, where the transitioning process uh, is not successful, you know, look at those and correct them. You know, they were saying, well, you know, there's certain people who, you know, detransition. Uh, I think the answer to that is, you know, every medical procedure, there's risks that are involved, you know, cancer surgery and uh, uh, various, you know, chemotherapies and radiation for cancer, you know, they're not 100% uh, uh, successful, but we don't say don't, you know, use any of those treatments you and your doctor should discuss them and you have a right to inform consent. And if it's a minor, there should be, you know, consent of the parents and the assent or permission of the child as well. Nobody should right. Be right. I mean, I agree. I think that this big brother idea of, of deciding these things instead of families and doctors is, you know, it's just unfortunate and hypocritical for people that call themselves conservatives. You mentioned religious liberty. Now, Many religions may oppose this, but many religions affirm this. And after the Dobbs decision, um, religious groups, including Jewish organizations, sued, saying that, for example, Judaism has no problem with pregnancy termination. And so I guess my point is that um, we have a separation of church and state in this country. And so that should just not be a consideration in my view. So our constitution says separation of church and state. I was in the uh, legislature in Florida where there were um, members of the House and members of the Senate who said, I don't leave my religion at the door. Um, my religion informs my decisions. And, uh, you know, I am Christian and I am going to uh, pass policies that fit with my religious traditions. So um, not everybody agrees with that. I, I certainly agree with you. And I think we need to, you know, uh, respect religions, but, you know, religious freedom should be my right to practice my religion, not my right to impose my religion on somebody else. Right. And there was a representative in Florida, I think his name was Barnaby from Deltona, who went on a very hateful religious rant where he called trans youth in the audience uh, demons and imps and mutants. I don't know if you heard that, but it was very hard for me to listen to. Yeah, we, we heard that. And that was traumatizing in the moment. Um, and also some of those transgender youth and some were adults as well. Uh, were receiving uh, hate uh, emails, calls, and threats afterwards as well. So they really did seem to incite more hatred, even beyond what happened in the uh, Capitol. He should have been gaveled, gaveled down. So what do you say to teachers in Florida who are concerned about the don't say gay law and teachers around the country with these anti-trans laws who might be afraid to even discuss this, much less offer much needed support to young adults who might be struggling with identity issues. So one of the things that uh, people need to um, focus on is what the laws actually prohibit and what they don't prohibit. So intentionally, I think some of these laws, you know, chill conversation, you know, throughout a school. So let's say you're a middle school teacher and uh, you're in a state that's passed a law that says you're not allowed to discuss in the classroom any issues related to gender or sexuality. 
That doesn't mean that outside of the classroom, you can't discuss those issues. Um, also, the way some of the bills are worded, um, the teachers are not allowed to, you know, initiate the discussion or get off topic in their uh, classes. They're supposed to teach what the required curriculum is. But if students start asking questions, the laws don't actually prohibit them. So it's helpful to know uh, what your laws actually say. And in order to have protection, you know, talk to your colleagues, talk to your administration, uh, join a union if you have them, you know, make sure that there's support around you so that if there is a case, um, and then talk also to the um, national or state organizations that are supportive of uh, people who are, you know, standing up and trying to provide uh, support to the youth. So, you know, I'm a university professor. We have a law that uh, also tells us that we're not supposed to teach critical race theory or not supposed to teach uh, um, topics or put anything that uh, could put our students, uh, you know, feeling bad or feeling um, not good about uh, themselves. And so, you know, I've made sure that I've got contacts at NAACP and Human Rights Campaign and ACLU who help to provide guidance on what's, you know, allowed and not allowed. Um, and hopefully, you know, some educators, K-12 and professors and college instructors, uh, hopefully will challenge uh, some of these laws and be the test cases so that uh, hopefully we can overturn these laws. I'm not saying that everyone should, you know, put their careers at risk, but, uh, you know, hopefully there will be enough people because if we keep going along with these uh, laws, it becomes more and more authoritarian and we're losing more and more of our rights. So, you know, today it's the trans kids, tomorrow, you know, is it going to be Muslims or Blacks or, uh, you know, what, what, what group will be next? I want to ask you a question about something you just said, and I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I know a lot of teachers who are afraid. And if there is um, like an after school, like, well, actually, if there's like an afternoon group, like a pride student group or something like that, and a teacher wants to go to that and it's on the school campus, do you think that that would be protected? So in each state, you'd have to look at the state laws and also at how they're being interpreted. So I've talked to school teachers and school social workers and guidance counselors around Florida. And some of them, they're continuing with all the same groups. They've got uh, gay straight alliances or uh, um, they've got diversity groups or other groups that uh, deal with these matters. And they're just going to continue and uh, not, uh, you know, not uh, um, kowtow to, you know, the, the threats. I don't think, but you'd need to ask, you know, somebody who's a, a practicing lawyer in Florida, you know, if there's an, an actual, um, you know, prohibition. My understanding that it's, uh, so far, it's classroom instruction. It's not after-class activities. And some of the distinctions have been between, you know, what's required education or mandated education versus, you know, what people can choose to go to. But I do know teachers and social workers in some jurisdictions where they're getting guidance from their administrators or school boards or parents groups, you know, not to provide any information specific to LGBTQ. Um, but some of them have created... Um, a list of, you know, if you are feeling stressed, here's where you can go. And, you know, they'll give like the phone number for 211 or they'll give crisis hotlines or other places that can help to get students in need to organizations that may be helpful. So not ideal, but people are trying to find some creative ways to do uh, this type of work. Or, you know, they may quietly 
you know, tell a student, you know, we can't provide you with this, but there's a coming out group at this uh, local um, LGBT uh, community center, or there's an online group, or maybe your parents would uh, like to contact uh, PFLAG, Parents, Friends uh, of Lesbians and Gays. So there may be, you know, some types of help that people are willing uh, to give and, you know, the risk isn't so great. Um, but there's other things, you know, where the risk might be uh, greater. Yeah, that's sort of a lead into my next question. But I just want to mention that if things get really bad, there are a lot of organizations and religious denominations who are opening up their community halls and places of worship, synagogues and churches, such as the United Church of Christ, Unitarian, Episcopal, and on and on. So my next question is, is how can various organizations and just people in general advocate to help LGBTQ plus youth? So, you know, your examples before were right on, you know, let LGBTQ people know that they are welcome, you know, have it on your website or on your door, you know, we are a welcoming community. And if you uh, include, you know, signals like, you know, pride flags, or, uh, you know, the fact that you do have uh, uh, grace to gay straight alliances or other groups uh, at your house of worship, that's certainly going to be helpful. You know, reaching out into the community, participating in, uh, you know, pride activities or participating. There's more and more, um, you know, rallies and uh, protests that are going on and being, you know, present and supportive of, of uh, those would be helpful. Talking to people who identify as transgender or LGBTQ and seeing, you know, what may be helpful. I know that, uh, you know, uh, throughout my daughter's education, you know, we helped the school to uh, change some of the language on its forms so that it wasn't exclusive of people who identified as uh, gay or lesbian. Um, and so just, you know, welcoming the voices of uh, people who identify from uh, diverse uh, gender and sexuality, diverse uh, sexualities and uh, uh, genders may be helpful. Uh, so taking a look at your policy books, um, seeing what types of, uh, you know, issues are being debated, not just, uh, you know, at the state or national level, but even in, you know, town and uh, county levels and, you know, making sure that you're present at those meetings. Uh, some of the um, parent-teacher uh, meetings and some of the school board meetings have been places where groups like Moms for Liberty have been advocating for, you know, banning any book that has anything to do with, um, you know, sexuality or gender. And really, when they say sexuality and gender, they only mean, you know, LGBTQ genders and sexualities. You know, it's kind of ridiculous, and hopefully the um, courts will take a look at these bans on discussions of gender and sexuality. You know, if I am talking to a class about Mother's Day, isn't that about sexuality and gender? If we're talking about, you know, how uh, to deal with sexual harassment uh, or, uh, you know, safe dating, isn't that around sexuality and gender? And why wouldn't we want those topics covered in class? Right. And I think every ally that does anything positive is helpful because I think for a lot of young children and adolescents and youth that are in rural America or they have conservative parents and they're afraid if they see a pride flag um, in a neighbor's house or, for example, there's a large synagogue in New Orleans that has a big rainbow flag and they have language on their front door that says they're inclusive. A lot of places are doing this and I think it's it's very important. My next question is, um, what specifically can professionals such as social workers and educators do in their communities to help young people who are facing increased fear during this time of oppression? And we've touched on some of this. Yeah. So one of the things, again, just, you know, being present, you know, I talked to 
uh, in a research study, um, I talked to uh, social workers about what they need to do to make sure that you know their students don't get into you know crisis situations. Well, you can't just wait till the crisis arrives. You have to get to know and you have to have relationships with uh, people. And then they're more likely to come to you when they're feeling so stressed that they're considering hurting themselves or hurting other people. So, you know, being there for people, letting them know that uh, you're there, uh, reaching out when you do see, you know, that something is uh, wrong, uh, helping to create a, you know, a culture of uh, respect. Uh, I think, you know, even if you are banned uh, technically from talking about uh, LGBTQ issues, if you just talk about, uh, you know, non-discrimination and equality for all people, that's going to be helpful for all people as well. Um, and then um, part of it is also the way that we advocate. I don't really believe in, you know, canceling people or calling people out, but perhaps, you know, educating, calling people in, you know, building allies. So, so even people who disagree with you, we have to find respectful ways to uh, engage with them, you know, recognize that, yeah, this is tough. It seems to go against your what you've been taught uh, religiously, but, you know, what else do you know from your, you know, religion? You know, judge not that you may be judged or uh, other uh, types of, uh, um, you know, religious uh, scripture that supports uh, helping all people. You know, all children are God's children or Jesus loves all children, whatever the faith uh, background is, and that, you know, our job on earth, our moral obligation is to be good to one another, not to, you know, beat up on one another or make things worse for one another. You made an excellent point. If if people who support LGBTQ people call people who are concerned about this bigots, it's just going to drive people further into these blue and red sides, which is just terrible for our democracy, this, this intense polarization. You may have, um, now I think these politicians are often not well-meaning and are exploiting this, but you may have an individual, you know, a mother in rural America, and she's just concerned about pronouns and things are moving too quickly and her way of life is being threatened and she's afraid. And then she speaks to a mother who is afraid for her transgender child. And they sort of start with their fear rather than attacking each other. And this is, I think, the best way that we can as a society deal with this issue. But unfortunately, you know, cable news and the outrage machine sort of pushes us in the opposite direction. So there's, there's for people who want to help, and I know you're really plugged into this and for your advocacy. So are there specific resources or organizations that listeners can check out to learn more about transgender equality and, and how they can provide support. Sure. So there are a number of national organizations, and especially if you're looking at, you know, what's going on at my in my state and you're not sure where to start. So National Center for Transgender Equality, uh, the American Civil Liberties uh, Union, the Human Rights uh, Campaign, uh, PFLAG, they're all national organizations. Uh, but, you know, look for what's uh, specific to your state. So in Florida, Equality Florida, there's a group called the Trans Inclusive uh, Group. Uh, we talked about uh, LGBTQ uh, community uh, centers, gay straight alliances uh, in schools. Um, and yeah, as you said, you know, check out, uh, you know, houses of worship. Uh, some people think, oh, if you're religious, then you're anti LGBTQ. And that's not true. There's lots of uh, uh, religious uh, groups that are. Uh, very supportive, good allies, and uh, you know we want to you know build on all the strengths that uh, we all already have. 
if you're not in a community that has uh, these uh, physically present, you know, there's certainly organizations that have uh, online uh, material and you can communicate with folks online. Um, you know, find out who are, you know, if, if there are people who are uh, having high levels of anxiety or depression or suicidal uh, ideation, you know, connect with mental health professionals. Uh, there's a lot of teletherapy that's going on now and telehealth uh, that's uh, available for people. So, you know, make use of all those different uh, su uh, supports. Well, I, I really appreciate your sharing your expertise and sort of on the ground knowledge about all of this. And I, I try to end my podcast on a light note, if possible. And so are there any areas in which you are optimistic about these issues and what's happening? I think, you know, our youth are inspirational. You know, when I was in uh, the Capitol and heard many of the transgender youth standing up, telling their stories, letting people know what's uh, gone on with them. And then we went into, you know, the offices of legislators on both sides. And, you know, even people who we knew were, you know, in favor of laws that uh, we were advocating against, they listened to us. And hopefully their, you know, hearts and their minds, uh, you know, were open to what we were saying. They were very kind and respectful to us, to our faces. Um, and we, you know, we also uh, were involved in a couple of rallies and just, you know, the number of students and their energy and their excitement and the way that they're using, you know, social media and different ways of uh, advocating is, is very inspirational. So um, you don't like to see any group attack, but when a group is attacked, they tend to, you know, organize. There's been, you know, attacks against uh, unions as well in uh, this state. And uh, we're going to see higher and higher rates actually of union membership rather than uh, lower because when people feel attacked, they have to, you know, get together in order to uh, protect themselves and to protect one another. Yeah, sometimes it takes a wake up call, but I appreciate your ending on an optimistic note. And I really, really appreciate you're taking time out of your busy schedule to be here. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you. As always, I welcome your feedback. Please leave a comment and please follow the show on Twitter, PoliticsCons at PoliticsCons. That wraps up this podcast. Until next time, be kind to yourself and others. Bye.